sales. <laughs> this is mind-blowing. One billion emails are sent each day. And then I went ahead and wrote the number up there, the one billion. One billion emails. Oh, 100. So I'm sorry, 100 billion. No. Is it? Oh, yeah, 100 billion. I'm, I'm sorry. You're right. 100 billion. That's kind of a hard to even fathom number. And then, oops, I skipped way ahead. And then 5,000 5, new books are published each day. That's, again, hard to even understand. And then this one really blew my mind. Six trillion text messages in a year. And I remember when I was in high school, now going way back a ways, when I had um, government class, the national debt was 800 million, and that was like a nightmare. Does anybody remember that? And I remember our teacher telling us if you were to stack, you know, dollar bills and all that stuff. But look at this little statistic. If you were to take a, a trillion dollars, these are $100 bills, and if you were to stack them, one, $1 million bills would be about the, the height of a chair, and then $1 billion would be higher than the t- world's tallest building, and then $1 trillion would, see that up there? 631 miles, two and a half times as high as the International Space Station. That's $1 trillion. Imagine six, and that's the text messages. It's hard to imagine all that information that's flying around, but also talking about information. If you were to take all the known things, all the facts that people knew about the world and start with uh, Jesus' birth, let's say 1 AD, and the next 1,500 years, it took that long for all the knowledge in the world to double, okay? And then the next doubling took 250 years. Then it doubled again in 150 years, and now, they, well, at the end of World War II, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. Now they're saying it doubles every 12 to 13 months. Now, that doesn't mean all that knowledge is all useful, but I'm just saying what's knowable or what's known, it's hard to imagine how much more there is that could be known uh, compared to what it was just even back then. This statistic was interesting, too. It said, if you happen to read the New York Times newspaper for one week, uh, you will be exposed to more information. It may be fake information, but still... Okay, more information than the average person living in the 1800s came across in their entire lifetime. That's hard to even imagine. But think about what, what, what did you really need to know in the 1800s to, to do life? I mean, there's quite a few things, but you didn't need to know the amount of knowledge that would be included in that. We're just swamped by a tidal wave of information. It's around us. It's over us. It's on us all the time, 24-7, 365. And then the whole world operates in this live, real-time atmosphere. You can turn the TV on at any time and there's news. Now, sometimes the news cycle's slow and they're repeating themselves over and over and over. But one thing that always just, I, I get addicted to it and it bothers me at the same time, but I threw a random picture up of just the news. Look at all the information that's on that screen at one time. Sometimes it's more. Sometimes you have a, a bar across the top and the side or both sides, you know, when something's going on. But look at all the information in this picture. I don't know what that is on the left, that picture behind him over there. I don't know if that's the wall and maybe that's what he was talking about. But that's the Treasury Secretary. So it's telling you they're at the White House, which I guess that's repetitive up there since it says White House right behind him. But 2.19 p.m. Then they got the breaking news. Then there's something down there in the white. And then you got the NASDAQ and the, the tipper, ticker tape over there. And then you can see it's MSNBC and it's live. We got a lot of information coming at us all the time. And I don't know about you, but there's times where it's almost too much, like especially when there's storms, you know, like 100 miles away and they got to put that thing on. Like, I don't need to know that at this minute, I don't think. It's just happening. But it's easy to see why it's easy for us to get distracted with all of this that's, geez, I'm sorry. What ends up happening is we, we, 
look at things, but we don't see. And then we listen and we don't really hear. And then we speak and we don't have the understanding because so much of that is flying all the time. And, and it's, it's almost like it's so much. It's like that old idiom of trying to take a sip out of a fire hose. It's too much, too much for you to really process and use in a way that's uh, helpful or useful for you. We're in this wired up, tuned in, hyper-caffeinated generation. This guy named Bob Morehouse, he wrote, he wrote this. He said, we've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've added years to life, our life expectancy, but not life to our years. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but we have trouble crossing the street and meeting a new neighbor. And then we've, we've conquered outer space, but not inner space. We've done larger things, but not really better things. I don't know if I'd agree with all of that, but I think I do agree with this. The fact that the inner space is what matters. All of the things that when it comes down, you know, the bigger, stronger, faster, uh, longer, all those things, you know, the progress. I think the challenge of our time is that we are conquering that inner space and that what's inside that we begin to have a control of that. I think our biggest challenge is kind of that man in the mirror idea. Do am I under control? Am I actually living a life? You know, we it's what inside what's inside that matters the most. And this, this epistle we've been looking at, James, you know, was written over 2,000 years ago, and it's written to these beleaguered, beleaguered, troubled Christians who were being chased on the one hand and then trying to live out their faith and, and uh, it, it, to think about how countercultural they were at that time, you know, so different. And maybe, maybe similar to today, I was talking with some of the ladies before church, and they were talking about some of the things that are happening in our culture that seem so backward, and yet at then, in their culture, when James wrote this to them, it probably felt a lot like that. Because they were coming up against, you know, value systems and things that were so, so different. I think bottom line for that is, um, geez, I keep skipping too fast, I apologize. It's not what happens to us, but rather what happens in us. You know, I, I, I read that and I, I think, you know, so many things do happen to us. And our response to those things tells a lot about not only who we are, but how grounded we are. And who is really ruling in here? You know, it's so easy sometimes to just um, have our world, you know, spinning around and then we feel like we have every excuse to act, you know, in any way. And yet, my question for us tonight is how do you respond when the heat is on? How do you respond when things are not right and horrible? James has some answers to this, and in, in this particular section, we're going to look at two verses tonight. He says, understand this, my brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. First thing there that um, seems probably pretty obvious is that we need to listen more. Now, I just was telling us that we listened too much, didn't I? It seemed like a contradiction maybe, but I think it's important what we choose to listen to. And for all of us, we kind of have this ability to filter. And I, I grew up in a home where my mom would say, and she listens to these sermons, but she would say, Bob, 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 you're not listening. My dad had an uncanny ability to tune out the entire world. I mean, the whole house could be falling apart, and he could be focused on whatever it was. It could be a music, or it could be a TV, or whatever, or a book. I mean, it was almost, it, it was almost like, is, is he really awake? Because... But he is. He could focus like that. And I think all of us have that ability to one degree or another. And that's what I'm talking about, the ability to, to filter out the unimportant and then focus on what really matters. And when he says to listen here, he says, be quick to hear. So my first question is, hear what? And I think most of us would go right away to hear each other or hear your 
wife calling Bob, Bob, Bob. But I want to start with something different that maybe you hadn't thought of in reference to the scripture before. I think, I think we need to start with the word itself, the Bible, scripture. Now, the word, the scripture that these people had at this time, do you know what it was? What? what? They had the Old Testament, right? They didn't, they didn't have what we consider the Bible because... For most of them, all they had was the Old Testament. At the point where James was written, James is one of the books that was written really, really early. So they may have had access to the book of Mark, which was also written very early. In fact, it's interesting. uh, Two years ago, they found a fragment of the book of Mark in Egypt, which I know doesn't sound, I mean, you're like, so here's the thing. It dated back all the way back to like 60 AD. You know why that's astounding? Because it was used as like paper mache to fill in part of a sarcophagus. So think about that. What do we use when we do paper mache? Like the newspaper, right? Or a stack of magazines or something? The book of Mark already had a fragment that was floating around and was already common enough that it was used for that kind of thing. That's just mind-blowing. So it's kind of messed up a lot of the archaeologists and their mindset about how early this book was. And then it already traveled to Egypt. That's just amazing. And it's, it's just a fragment, but you wonder, well, where's the rest of it? And who knows how it even got there and all that kind of thing. So my point is, though, they didn't have the entire Bible that we rely on. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the Gospels about Jesus unless they did have access to the book of Mark. So when James says to listen, what he's talking about, not only would he be talking about some of the Old Testament books, but also what he would be doing is talking about when he talked about the, to, for them to listen, what, what was happening in their churches at the time, and their, you know, most of them would have been house churches, what they were talking about is the apostles themselves who were eyewitnesses of what Jesus did and said, they would tell stories about that in their preaching, and they call that the oral tradition, and then those stories would be retold and retold, and then those were written down by Matthew and Luke and Mark writing down the memories of Peter. And as they wrote those down, those became the things, the word. So they might hear the story of the Good Samaritan, or they might hear the story of, you know, Jesus, you know, healing blind Bartimaeus, and then the, whoever was preaching that day might preach a sermon based on that. That was the word that they existed on and lived on, or the Beatitudes themselves, maybe this whole Sermon on the Mount would be something that they would grow and learn. Think about that for a minute. We, we have so much access. You know, they didn't, they didn't have books of, even the books of Romans and Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, they didn't have any of that yet. None of that was written at the time James was written. Just wasn't available yet. <laughs> and we have, we have that version Bible app. This, how many of you use that? I'm just curious. I looked it up today because I was just curious. I wonder how many versions are available. 51 versions of, in English. <laughs> you can find 51. I didn't know there were 51 versions of the Bible. 51 versions of the Bible in English alone on that version Bible app. It's so handy. Oh, and by the way, if you're using that to look at the notes tonight, there was a weird glitch. I couldn't get it to put the date on tonight. So if you're going to go to that link, you'd have to go off the Facebook. It probably wouldn't pop up like it normally does. If, you're just, if you open your version and go to events, live events, it probably wouldn't pop up because it was stuck on Saturday for some reason. I don't know why. But you could go to the church Facebook and click that link, and it would go right there. Who grew up with the King James Bible? Anybody? Yeah, we grew up memorizing that. That was our Bible. That's what we had, right? Do you remember, anybody remember when that was written? 1611, right. And what you may or may not know, that King James, you know, he, he was the Scottish king that united the Scottish and the English 
uh, uh, realms, and he was Protestant, so he made the Bible available to everybody. That's why they call it the King James Authorized Version, because he authorized it. He found the most, the most uh, educated scholars they could find at the time, and they collected all the manuscripts that they could at the time, which is awesome. Our modern translations, in some cases, have as many as two times the amount of uh, documents to rely on as they did in 1611, because so much more archaeology has done. But what do you think that the early church had to use? Does anybody know? It's kind of interesting. They actually had a thing called the Septuagint, which sand, it's Latin for 70. It was written in about the, about the 3rd century B.C. And, and what it was was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. So the quotations that we read in the New Testament, those are quoting actually from the Septuagint, the Greek, because there's times where you might look at it and say, well, that's not exactly how it was. Now, if I look at that quote, it's, it doesn't line up exactly with the quote that they're quoting you know, in the Old Testament. Well, that's because the Bible you're using was, was translated directly from the Hebrew, where they were, they were used to hearing the Bible in Greek, because Greek was the language of the land at the time. I believe that wisdom begins when we start to listen. And listen to his word. You know what's interesting about all that modern technology and the reason I mentioned all of that is because we have so much more access, but I wonder how much we actually access. We have it, but do we use it? You know, we have news and I mean you pull out your phone, you can you can look at the news, email, message, music, video, flashlight, right? It's an it's an amazing tool. But to think that it has so much more application. And what I noticed today is people are always engaged, it seems like, in technology all the time. You know, and I, I hear families talk about, let's put those away during dinner and all that, and that's wonderful. But, but I see it everywhere. I, I, when I flew this last summer a couple times, I was amazed walking through the terminals. Everybody, ev- literally everybody, young and old, all had their he- heads down. I mean, you could, you could look around, and there was like maybe four or five of us not doing that. I'm not elevating myself. I'm just saying I noticed that. And as I was walking around, it, it was just funny because as you walk around, you can just see the few people who actually have their heads up. And it was a couple times, you know, they said, hey, how you doing from like five rows away? Because it's like there's the only people who could communicate with one another because everybody's locked in. But what are they locked in on? That's my point, really, in bringing this whole thing up and that whole technology blitz is because my point is you have to filter all that out and you get to choose what you put into your heart and mind all the time. And when James says to listen, and I say to listen to the word, what I'm encouraging you to do is actually you choose. You get to choose the plan that you want to do. You plan how much of his word you put into your heart and mind. I wonder sometimes who's better off, that first century believers who had oral tradition and they memorized those stories, or us who have it all at our fingertips and never look at it. I mean, how do you plan that? You know, um, today's Ash Wednesday. I don't know if you all are aware of that or not. Um, you know, and Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent for a lot of the mainline denominations. You may have seen people walking around with smudges of Lent on their forehead. And um, I think about this. I was, I was talking to my classes, my apologetics classes, because none of those students knew what it was. And I said, why do you think we don't do that, you know, as evangelical Christians? And one of the guys, he's kind of a smart aleck, which I enjoy. But he said, because um, we're lazy. And I said, you're right. You don't realize it, but you're right. Think about this for a minute. Now, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing us or all of evangelicalism, but we don't do a lot of those practices every day because we know we're, we're, saved. We, we're saved by grace. We don't have to do those things. So I think what happens is we do get a little bit lax and casual, and we don't do the things that make us grow. 
Now, I'm not saying you grow more if you do Lent necessarily because you could just be going through the motions. But if you really did that and you spent those 40 days leading up to Easter and focusing on the resurrect, crucifixion and resurrection for 40 days, imagine the depth of relationship you would develop in Christ doing that. But even better, what is your plan for reading the word? How do you, how do you, how do you plan to do that? I just wanted to throw this up here really quick. I just took a random screenshot of some of the, the Bible study plans that are available on version. Whoa, see how quick that was? There's the uh, website right up there. It's just Bible.com. And then when you go there, you can go into reading plans. If you already have a version account on your phone, you can do it on your computer. But this is, this is just an expanded version of what it would look like if you're using your phone or a tablet or something. But that's just a random shot of what was there. I mean, I I, I didn't actually search for anything. I just put it up there because it's, I guess, because it's uh, Valentine's Day, you have all these marriage and all that kind of stuff. But my point is, you can choose. I, I especially was interested maybe in the story of Easter one. And I don't know if it, and, and then the one right over there, Journey to the Cross, Easter and Lent devotional. And I was thinking, I don't, I don't practice Lent, but it might be fun, and I mean that fun, to actually do that for the next 40 days, walking toward uh, you know, Easter and, and uh, Good Friday. That would be kind of cool. But you choose. That's my point. You choose. We're quick, quick to do so many things in life that don't really matter. You know, we spend time doing things that ultimately don't feed our souls when we could be doing things that do feed our souls. And that's the intentionality I'm calling you to. And I think that's part of what James was talking about when he said to listen, listen, listen. Now, of course, the more obvious answer would be to listen to each other. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. This gets kind of touchy. I don't, I don't want to offend anybody or anything, but, um, you know, we all need to be heard, right? Everybody needs to be heard. They need to know that you care what they're saying. And, and listening is such a difficult thing sometimes. In the Amplified Version, that, that verse that we had read earlier uh, says, let everyone be quick to hear. Be a careful, thoughtful listener. There's a difference, right? The casual listener. How many times have you had this happen where somebody, wife, husband, whoever, but you, they'll say, I told you that. You nodded. You said yes or okay, right? And you, for the life of you, can't remember what they said. Or, or maybe you've been talking to somebody and then you realize, I'm not really, wh- what did you say? Can you say that again? It's awkward, but we do it all the time. To actually be a careful, thoughtful listener is a night and day different thing. It really, really is. And when he says to listen, it, it's, that takes it to a level that I think is, is, is just hard for some of us. I hope none of us do this, but have you ever done this where you're listening, or you, you think you're listening, but you're really listening and you're really thinking about what you're going to say next? And then you've got it all set up in your mind. I mean, you don't do this intentionally. It just comes naturally. And then they, they take what they were saying a different direction. You're like, oh, wait, what? Because <laughs> I was ready to respond where I thought you were going to say, or I don't know if you know anybody like this that answers before you're done saying something. Does anybody know anybody like that? It can get so annoying because you're just like, ah, that's not what I was going to say. I mean, sometimes it is, but it isn't every time. And if you just listen, it might be something different. And if you really listen to what people are saying. And I, I put saying in quotes on my page here because a lot of times people say things, but it's not the words that is what they're saying. And you have to read between the lines on what they're saying. And sometimes it's what they don't say. Sometimes it's the intonation or the inflection. And sometimes it's the facial expression and the body language. I was talking to a student. This is a couple of weeks ago. Well, I was at a Super Bowl. And um, it was one of the, the middle school students. And um, I didn't know him, so I just thought I'd sit down and talk to him. And as I was talking to him, this is what he did. 
he was, he was sitting there kind of watching the game. You know, most, most weren't there. When I sat down next to him, I started talking to him. He did this. He, he literally, we're sitting on the couch, and he's like this. He literally did this. Like, am I making you uncomfortable, bro? He's like, what do you mean? Well, you just crossed yourself up like you're protecting yourself from me. You know, and, and, you know, I was kidding with him, and he knew it, and he's like, oh, no, no, I'm fine, and he stopped doing that. But that body language says a lot, and there's something about listening where you're listening past just the words. I mean, the words are obviously important, but it's more than that, way more than that. Eye contact says so much, and it's, I, let me just throw this out to you. A lot of times in premarital, I'll talk about this, the importance of, of repeating back or pra- paraphrasing back what somebody says, and I, I tell this story often is. You know, my father's got Alzheimer's. I think I've mentioned that probably a lot. But I remember one time in particular where, you know, something had happened and it was just confusing. Like, why can't he do this and understand this, but he can't understand other things? And the neurologist, as he was talking to us, he was saying, well, you realize, of course, that there's different levels of of the mind. And in this particular case, what had happened was my mom and sister had had my dad out on the patio and he started to slide out of his wheelchair. And he's, you know, he's not a big, big guy, but he's 200 pounds. And they're like, if he slides out, we can't help him. You know, and, there's, and my mom was saying, Bob, put your feet back up on the pads. Well, you know, he doesn't respond, and he didn't do it. So, you know, she, they're like, well, we'll have to take him back in. So they take him back in, and they get him up to the nurse's station, and they say, yeah, he was sliding out, and his feet were off. And they're like, his feet are on now. Oh, man, she was not happy about that. <laughs> like, Why did he put his feet on then? And the neurologist was saying, well, Mrs. Luce, you need to understand, that's a reflex. He didn't think about it. He wasn't trying to, you know, be disobedient or make, make you upset. He, he was, it, it's a natural reflex to not stub your toe. It wasn't as if he said, I'm not going to put my feet on because she said, and then later he does. It's, do, do you see how that works? Okay, now I'm going to, now you're, you're like, why is he talking about this? Here's why I'm talking about it. When you talk to somebody and you listen to them, it goes into one party level of your brain. If you repeat back what they said to them, you just entered a whole different level of understanding in your mind. If you paraphrase it back, you've done it even deeper. When you paraphrase it back, you've processed it through your mind, and it, it lit- you literally understand it at a totally different level than if you just heard it and just repeated it back. Uh, I'm just saying, if you're really going to listen, and, and you're going to do what the Word says, be a careful, thoughtful listener, then it involves some action on your part, and it might be doing that, paraphrasing things back. <laughs> listen more and talk less. Anybody else here a talker? Is it just me? Okay, there's, really, that's it? Come on, Carol. <laughs> there is a couple back there. I hear them. I can hear them, but not, I can't hear what they're saying. I can just hear them mumbling throughout the whole service, which is fine. Um, and I'm not saying for you to talk less. I'm just saying in the context of this verse, listen more, talk less. We already talked about the listen more. Let's talk about the talk less part. What, what he says here is to be slow to speak. I just laugh at myself here because I usually am ready to talk back right away. And, and there's, I've stumbled into that millions of times. Um, <laughs> this verse out of Ecclesiastes is kind of slap in the face. God is in heaven and you are here on earth, therefore let your words be few. That's a tough thing. Let your words be few. Um, <laughs> You know what I've come to the conclusion of? We're, we're not really as smart as we think. We're not as clever as we think. We're not as wise as we think. Sometimes it'd be good just to be quiet for a minute and listen and to not answer right away. You know, Ecclesiastes says it's, there's a time to speak and a time to be silent. 
and it's difficult to know what those times are sometimes, but it's important. It's important to do one and then the other. This verse two, oop, dang, I don't know what's wrong with my buttons tonight. Sorry, guys. Uh, Proverbs says, do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Man, if we could really think through everything we said before we just put it out there, can you imagine what life would be like? How much better things could go? Uh, I came across this kind of a corny poem, but it says, to keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup, whenever you're wrong, admit it, and whenever you're right, shut up. Nobody likes that told you so thing. Even if you don't say it, you know how sometimes you can say it without saying it? That smile or that uh uh-huh or whatever. I'm sure none of you have ever done this where you said something in anger and then a thousand times regretted it and you realize I can't get those words back. (laughs) Uh, Social media is one of those things, isn't it? Because people will say something on there and it's it's one of those good, bad, you know, double-edged sword, evil, good things, social media, because people will say things, and then you can't get it back. I mean, you can go back and delete it, but it's there. It, it's been there. And, and most of us know now that if it's there, it's there forever, right? Even if you do delete it, it's there. There's a funny, this is not, maybe it's not that funny to you, but a friend of mine um, was working at a church, a large church, and he really, he had, he had felt called to... Um, plant a church, but he hadn't told his pastor yet, the boss. Here's what happened. I, I had, because he's a friend of mine, I had his Twitter account so that anytime he posted something, it automatically came to my phone. So he had gone to general counsel, this is years ago, and uh, the speaker had been talking about church planting, and he really felt like God led him to plant. And so he, it was, it, it was I think, two or three in the morning, he'd been praying and felt God doing this. So he, he, sent what he thought was a direct message to that speaker saying, I really felt inspired what you said, and I feel called, I'm going to plant a church. The problem was, he didn't send it just to that guy. He sent it to everybody on Twitter, everybody who followed him. So when I got up in the morning, I didn't, I didn't hear it, you know, when it happened, but when I got up in the morning, there's this message that he's planting a church. I'm like, oh no, really? So I called him up. I'm like, so where are you planting? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, you put that on Twitter, and he goes, I erased that. Right away, I saw it went out. To, I, I erased it. Like, dude, it's out there. I think you need to call you know, our pastor and say, hey, didn't mean to tell the whole world before I talked to you, but that's how it is. It's social media. And how many times have you seen people getting upset at each other because social media is also one of those things where you can't, not only can you not take it back, you can't really see the nuance. And there's times where maybe you've never done this, but I, I don't, I try not to do it anymore, but where I, I you, you might see something and think you're going to be funny and put something funny on there. Anybody had this happen and it backfired and somebody took it wrong and then you're just me? Really? Okay, well, anyway, learn, lesson learned there. Let me say this. I remember as a kid when my, my mom or dad would say, you know, if you're angry, count to 10 before you say something. You ever heard that? I think that's a good thing. And I think what we should do is, is make sure we use that and slow down and wait, and maybe even wait a day before you post something that you might you know, be upset about or think about. I read a study. Uh, it's been two years ago now, but there, there was an article written. It's called The Loss of Civility. And what it was talking about is this. It's, it's a modern phenomenon that social media has created where people are incredibly rude. And you think, are they really that rude? Well, no, they're, they're actually not. But... 
because of the anonymity, the virtual anonymity of social media, you can say things on there that you would never say to someone's face. Never, ever, ever. But you say it on there and it's so effortless and you write it and it's gone and it's there. And it's sad really to think about that us as, as humans when we have that. Think about how it would be, and I know this would be uncomfortable for everybody, but think how it would be if everybody could read our thoughts at every moment. Oh my goodness. We filter lots, don't we? You know, you, you, you're thinking things all the time and you're like, oh, that's horrible. I can't believe I thought that, right? Or I would never say that out loud, but you thought it. Imagine how it would be, though, if everybody could hear those thoughts or read them all the time. It would be a difficult thing. But on the other hand, uh, we see with the advent of social media, people just, they don't have that filter anymore, and they just put it out there. It's so sad. So, so sad. And we have this tendency to speak when we're angry and frustrated. And I read this line. I, it made me chuckle. Speak when you're angry, and you'll make the best speech you'll never, you'll <laughs> mess it up. Okay, let me say it again. Uh, speak when you're angry, and you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. Let me say that again, because I messed it up the first time. Speak when you're angry, and you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. That's the thing. You know, so many times words get out. How many grew up here in sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you? I, I want to believe that, but I know I'm kind of a words person, and there are times when something will be said, and it, I'll shoot back to middle school, high school, you know, 25-year-old, where somebody said something, and it sticks in my mind. And it could be something, such a cast-off comment. And, and I, I, even some of these things, now they're flooding through my mind. Isn't that weird how we do? And even now I'm thinking, oh, consider the source. That person is goofy. Why would you even let that bother you? But here it is all these years later. Because words are powerful that way. Listen more, speak less. In the uh, Amplified Version, um, the verse we're looking at says, I'm afraid to push the button now because now it's not working again. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'll read it to you. It says, <laughs> the Amplified version of that, <laughs> I don't know what happened. Uh, slow to speak, a speaker of carefully chosen words. That's what it says. The next thing I would encourage us to do is to just calm down, which I know sounds silly, but calm down. Be slow to anger, slow to anger. The translators of this, they handle this, this last command in a, a variety of ways. Some of them translate it slow to anger. Others translate it slow to wrath, which sounds worse than anger, doesn't it? Yeah. And then um, still others say slow to lose his temper. Here, here's something I think we need to understand. James isn't saying don't ever get angry because that's unrealistic. The fact is you're going to get angry from time to time, right? What he's saying is, don't let that anger get to the point where it's a deep-seated rage. That word actually is deep-seated rage. That's why some translated it wrath, where others translated it anger. It's deep-seated rage. It's not a, a passing moment of displeasure, and you, if you hold on to it and think about it, you calm down, and you're not upset. That's not it. It's a deep emotion that if it's released in the wrong time, it causes a lot of damage, and that's not a healthy thing. And the, again, the Amplified Version, it says, slow to anger, be patient, reflective, and forgiving. Anybody need help with that? Patient, reflective, and forgiving. Uh, anger is actually under our control. And I know, I know people who, who have varying levels of anger issues. Um, and I know for some people, they're like, I can't help it. I mean, I've just always been this way. I, I, I just blow up. I, I burst out. and I'm Just like my dad. He did it all the time. I think of my dad. You know, he, 
I've told you these stories before about how he grew up being abused by his father, and his father was a very angry man. And my dad um, promised himself if God ever gave him kids, he would never be like that. He would never punish us in anger. And um, I can tell you, he lived that out in front of us. There were so many times I was with him in situations where you knew he was angry, but he did not outburst. Or times like, I remember working on the car with him and you know, holding the flashlight and being under there. And you know how any of you have worked on a car and that wrench slips? You know, and your knuckles go up into the metal. And, you know, I remember seeing his knuckle laid wide open one time. And he just said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I've never heard him cuss, not one time ever, ever. I mean, it's a powerful thing. Powerful thing. Anger's an emotion. And I I feel like it's one of those things where we, we make excuses about it. But how many times have you guys been maybe in an argument and then the phone rings and you turn on the other voice? Hello. And then you go right back to arguing. I mean, the fact is, it's more under our control than I think we want to admit. Um, there's a progression that James is working on here. He said, he said, be quick to listen. But if you turn that around and you said, slow to listen, that would lead to quick speaking, which would lead to quick anger. You see that negative progression? But he's tried to reverse that. He said, be quick to listen, not slow to listen. Moving on into verse number 20, I think what happens is James knew that we would, some of us would struggle with the anger thing. So what he says is, he goes, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And in the CEV version, it says, if you're angry, you cannot do any of the good things that God wants done. Anger is a crippling thing and it, and it takes away your witness and it takes your, your ability to reason and takes your ability to relate to people. In the Amplified Version, it says, for the resentful, deep-seated anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God the standard of behavior which God requires from us. The the key to this all is to to move away from that anger and move back. Ephesians uh, 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. If we extend that grace to people, it changes everything. I think the bottom line is this. um, Jesus gave us a standard for behavior. He said, love one another, serve one another. If you're going to really do that, then you're going to be quick to listen, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Would you shut your eyes with me for a sec? Father, I know that, that for some of us in here, this can be a struggle. Quick, we, we, our emotions are on the edge, or, or things are going on, or maybe there's a lot of stress going on that it's, it's difficult to even concentrate or focus, and then when things go wrong, it's, it's almost like it's out of our control. I pray that you would help those of us who struggle with that to control it. For your glory, God, so that we could be used the way you want us to be used. Father, I pray for every one of us that we would truly listen, that we would be intent, careful listeners of what people are saying. We'd show them that respect and care for them and their character and what, they, what they're trying to communicate. God, I pray you would help us to be slow to anger, slow to anger, and slow to speak. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you tonight. I pray that as you go home and start to work on this, I pray it's not one of those things, you know, like people say, don't pray for patience. (laughs) I hope it's not that way for any of us tonight. God bless you guys. I just wrote on my shirt.